0: 1 Samuel chapter number 17, and it is a true joy and honor to be here today, to stand in this pulpit. I don't know if some of you guys are like me, but uh, when I was here, out of curiosity, how many of you men have ever snuck into the auditorium and come up on this platform and stood behind this pulpit and just looked at it? Come on. More, more, More hands should be up i want to tell you, there's, there's just something special. The Bible refers to this as a sacred desk. I don't take it lightly anytime I stand behind one of these. I love that song that that young man just sang. And you know, there was many reasons. I love the words. I love how it spoke of how the Lord gave his life for my life. I've never got over that. I don't think I ever will. He died for my sins. And when I think about the opportunities that God has given to me, I was sharing with some of the men. There's some great men around here. I hope some of you guys and even some of you young ladies get to know some of these men and women that are not only staff members but church members here at Lancaster Baptist. God sent you here to a local church ministry. You need to get to know some of these folks. I was just in the coffee shop area. I don't drink coffee. They say I'm not a Baptist because I don't drink coffee. But I just spent probably 30 minutes talking to John Alvarez and Brother Rascala. two great guys. Brother John tears in his eyes telling me, Brother Stensis, how he got a chance to do what you talked about at your mom's funeral. He got to stand and give the gospel and talk about the fact that his brother, although he was raised Catholic, trusted Christ as his Savior, that he was in heaven. God gives us opportunities, and He puts people in our lives. And I know you have a lot of things going on. I was here for 12 years. I know what it's like on both sides of the fence. But I will tell you that if you would just stop and smell the roses, I mean, take time to get to know some of these people. Yesterday, you you had an opportunity to, to sit in on a funeral that Pastor Chapel, my pastor, performed for one of the dearest families in this church. 29-year-old young man. He's in heaven today. We rejoice. Some of you guys got to see how to do a funeral. How to love on families. You saw an entire auditorium full because you had a church that loves one another and supports one another. It's a wonderful thing. I think about how God gives us opportunities. How many of you young men feel called to preach can speak Spanish? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it like you're proud that you can speak Spanish and you've been called to preach. There's some hands up. I'm going to tell you, some of you, I'm just going to make a plea here. I'm in, I'm in just north of Miami, Florida. If you go 10, 15 minutes south of us, it's probably 80% or more Hispanic-speaking. And I'm going to tell you something. Somebody like myself that goes down there that doesn't have the gift of tongues, I can't communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those folks. And there is a great need for church-planting Spanish-speaking Men of God that are willing to go somewhere, scratch off a spot and start winning people for Christ. Now, there's Spanish works there, but most of them are very charismatic. They make little of doctrine. They don't love people the way that they should, like you're seeing here or maybe back in your home church. I'm just talking to you this morning like a friend. I want to help you. I have a real desire. I miss Bible college students. I know that sounds weird. When I was here, I loved going through the dorms. It's amazing some things you find when you go through those dorms. Now, I didn't go through girls' dorms. But I'll tell you, some of those boys' dorms, I'd walk in and they'd be in the middle of something and they'd see me and they'd stop. They were waiting for the axe to fall. That was Brother Weaver's job back then. I could be the good guy. But I want to help you today. Is that you, Brother Williams, back there? Reggie? Brother Reggie Williams. What a blessing that guy is. Puts up with all of you. Because of you, Brother Williams doesn't have any hair on his head. There are so many great people here. I hope you I hope you take time to get to know them. And we, we spent some time with Brother Mrs. Houck last night. What a dear couple. What a dear couple. The Rasmussen's. I mean, there are so many families, the Weavers, that are gold. One of my dear friends sitting right over here, Dr. Jerry Goddard. I hope many of you are praying for his family. That man's carrying some burdens. He needs somebody to bear those burdens with him. He loves his daughter. And he's wanting God to work. And you're a part of this. Don't just be here for school. This thing is way bigger than you are. Way bigger. That's what I want to talk to you about today. And I, I know it's a familiar portion of Scripture, and I pray that God will use it here in 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse number 40. The Bible says, And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and, and the man that bare the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. I will smite thee, take thine head from thee. I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God. In Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and thence took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword In the hand of David. Therefore, David ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheet thereof, and slew him, cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, what did they do? They fled. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, thank you for the opportunity to be in this college chapel this morning. Lord, what a privilege. And I pray that you would bless the Word of God this morning, that you would challenge these young men and women, these these that are about to enter the harvest field, maybe some this summer, maybe some next year or the year after. Lord, I pray that they would realize now that there is a cause worth fighting for. That this thing that we would call ministry, it's not about us, it's about you. And that because of the life that we live and the strength that you give to us and by your power, that all the world would know that there is a God And that you are not only in Israel, but you are everywhere in this world today. We pray this. We pray that you would use us for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you're having a seat this morning, I want to talk with you a little bit about this passage of Scripture. I wonder this morning when... You entered this college. How many of you have been here too long already? Uh Uh-huh, that's what I thought. Anybody else getting anxious about getting out there? Right? I remember those days. How many of you this morning, uh, let's have you stand. How many of you are one-year Bible students? Anybody this morning, stand up real quick. One-year Bible students, all right. Okay, awesome. Have a seat. Any freshmen, would you stand? Freshmen. I I know it's embarrassing to be a freshman, but Everybody's got to be one at least once in their life. You can have a seat. Any sophomores? Sophomores. All right, so we got some sophomores. All right, how about have a seat? Any juniors? Juniors. All right. Okay. Now I know who I'm talking to. The seniors. Have a seat, juniors, seniors. Any seniors? So this is a group that thinks they're graduating. All right. Seniors. Have a seat, seniors. and uh, any any graduates, uh, the, uh, what do you call it here? Master students. Any master students have a stand up. All right, couple master students. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, now some of you I noticed didn't stand because you don't know where you are. You know, some of. Is there any freshmen in here? Kind of between freshman and sophomore. I saw a couple hands back there. Any juniors? A couple of juniors in here. How many of you are, stand if you're from the South? All right. You guys know how to eat, right? Sweet tea, right? All right, have a seat. Let's see, how many of you are from the North, Northerners? Wow. And that was interesting because some of you were very slow to get up. Yeah, northerners, all right. Have a seat, northerners. Anybody from the west coast of the United States? West coast of the United States? All right. Got quite a few west coasters. All right, have a seat. How about the east coast? East coast? East coast? You folks traveled a long way to be here. Those West Coast people, they don't understand the sacrifice, all right? Have a seat. How many Midwesterners? Midwesterners. Yeah. Anybody here from Missouri? Yeah. I'm from, I'm from Missouri myself. The show me state, right? Anybody here from out of the country, different countries? Stand. Look at that. Look at that. All right. Hey, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Now that we've done our calisthenics, we can get to the message, all right? I noticed yesterday, 730 Chapel, some of you were just out of it, you know? Poor poor Pastor Folger, he was struggling trying to keep you folks awake yesterday. And uh, some of you didn't get your coffee, that's why, right? Because you're Baptist, you drink coffee. Yeah, so let me ask you this, how many of you, uh, how many of you come from a Christian home? Would you stand? Okay, for just stand for just a second. You should be thankful you came from a Christian home. I've met a lot of Christian young folks who are not thankful they were raised in a Christian home. You ought to thank God. You ought to, you ought to get a hold of your parents today. And just don't say the preacher in chapel told me I had to. You ought to get a hold of your parents to say thank you for raising me the way you did. Have a seat. How many of you were raised in a non-Christian home like I was? Would you stand? Look at this crowd. What a blessing that you're here. You've overcome some things to be here. Can I tell you this? How many of you standing or maybe you can join them are what I would call a first-generation Christian. Would you stand those first-generation? In other words, you didn't come from a lineage of Christians. You are the first in your family. Would you stand? We've got some first-generation. That's the way I am. You can have a seat. You know, I could tell a lot about, and and again, I'm not here to judge people. But I can even tell some things about people, like, for instance, where you're sitting in chapel today. See, I, I've noticed over the years when I was here why students sat where they sit. Now, again, it, there may, maybe you came in late. Maybe you're like some of those yesterday that came in 20 minutes late. Shame on you, right? I remember one time I was teaching. I'm, I'm the... Uh, When I was here, those of you that don't know me, you're probably glad you didn't know me. I was the dreaded Greek teacher here. Yeah. Some of you already are like, okay, I don't want to hear this guy. Some of you changed your major just so that you wouldn't have to take Greek. You know, I used to always tell students, do you know God gave his word in the New Testament in the Koine Greek language. (coughs) Guys would come into class and they'd say, Brother Keeley, we already have the Bible in English. Why do we have to take this? Excuse me, because it's the word of God. And this is a Bible college. One time I was teaching and we finished right before chapel. And as we finished right before chapel... I had a bunch of knuckleheads in that class that decided that they were going to try in the Revels building to see how many they could get on the elevator at one time. <laughs> Do you remember that, Brother Weaver? 23 guys got on the elevator. And I'm telling you this because I don't want you to make the same mistake they made. 23 guys got on that elevator, and guess what happened? the elevator got stuck. <laughs> the guy that was the uh, dean of students back then, <clears throat> you know, you come after third hour, you come to chapel. Well, they're, in, they're, they're having chapel in the elevator. <laughs> so one of them, so smart, says, well, let's call, and he named the dean of students name. So they called him. And they said, hey, we need some help. We're in the elevator in Revel's building. We're stuck. And he says, well, who's there with you? And he started giving the name of every student in the elevator. He must have been a freshman. So they wrote down, the the dean wrote down all the names of the students. And so they got them out. And we were sitting in chapel about 20, 30 minutes after chapel started. Do you guys still have the little thing on the wall that you have to? Yeah. Does it still make that little noise? Yeah. Do you guys still like keep it in your wallet and you jump? So it's got (laughs) to (laughs) read. That's what they used to always do when I was here. Got to be inventive a little bit. So we're sitting in chapel. They're already past the announcements. The The special's already been sung. And I'm sitting in the back with with the faculty, and all of a sudden I hear beep, 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 (laughs) beep, 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 (laughs) 23 times. It was not a happy day for those people. They sat in the back that day. I understood why they sat in the back, because they didn't want any more attention. They had a nice meeting with the dean after chapel was over with and received their demerits because they decided they were going to test the elevator that day. But even sitting in chapel today, some of you are sitting down front. Not everybody likes the front. You know, the soaked zone. You know? Just want to get a little of that holy spit on me. Some of you, boy, I mean, you come in, you, you go right for the front. Some of you are sitting in the middle. You you, you know, the front's there, but you're okay. You don't want to fight for the front. And some of you are on the outsides. You're still here, but you're comfortable. Now, again, I'm not judging you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on in your heart. And then some of you are in the back. Students hated my classes because I had this weird ability when I taught. I don't know why, but I could hear conversations on the back row in all my classes. I just had this uncanny ability to hear things and see things. And a lot of times I would walk around like I'm doing right now. and A lot of you don't feel comfortable with somebody walking around because they could see you texting they can see you writing love notes and holding hands with your girlfriend. <laughs> Brother Keeley, just go back up to the platform and start preaching. <laughs> You're missing it. I am preaching. And so the thing was, is that, you know, we, we, were, we were going through class and I could hear things. And, you know, Bible college students are funny because... If I would see a couple in the back, I always had this rule in my classes. You could sit with your girlfriend or your boyfriend as long as you paid attention to my class. Because I think when students come to Bible college, they come to learn more about God and the Bible. You know, And it's it's great to have a relationship, but it needs to be done at the right time in the right way in a God-honoring way. Amen? So sometimes I'd see them back there talking, writing. (laughs) And so I wouldn't say anything. I'd just walk back there and I'd take the note out of their hand. Yeah, I did. <laughs> many times, many times. And I'd take that note out of my hand. I'd, I wouldn't say a thing to them. Didn't have to. I'd walk back to the, what do they call them, smart desk, I think, whatever they are. They're not smart. They're stupid because teachers don't know how to use them. And, uh, and so I would, I'd get back up there in front of the class, and all the college students would start saying, Read it, read it, <laughs> read it. And, of course, I I didn't read it. I tried to be nice. I really did. You know, Greek teachers really, because Greek gets a bad rap, Greek teachers really oftentimes, but that's okay. I know my wife loves me sometimes. (laughs) The question I want to ask you this morning, and I asked all those questions for a reason, is what kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? I think that's a fair question. Because I could tell you this, that other people may not know. And it might even be true in your own life. You may not even know. But there's one person that already knows what kind of person you are, and that's the Lord. And God knew what kind of person David was. When I came here, Back in 2003, I visited with my wife. We were between ministry. We were praying about the next phase in ministry. And to be honest with you, I had had a bad experience pastoring my first church. It was a train wreck. Got into a hornet's nest. There was a lot of things in that church that were just, they were bad. We were between ministry. We were praying as a husband and wife, a father and mother to our four children on what God would want us to do in the days ahead. And I'll be honest with you guys, listen, don't ever get your priorities out of order because before I'm a pastor, I'm a husband and a father. Did you hear what I said? Family always comes first. I can get another ministry, I can't get another family. I can get another pastorate, I can't get another wife. Amen? Make sure your priorities are in order. And we were praying about what to do and... So as time went on, I ended up on the phone with one of my dear friends, one of the sons of Gath, Dr. Mark Rasmussen. What a country, you know. <laughs> Dr. Dr. R, as I've called him ever since I went off to Bible college, he said, hey, why don't you come out here? I said, to California? the land of fruits and nuts? Why would I want to come out there? And he began to, in his way, he said to me, he says, I want you to see what God's doing here. And so the Lord led us to come out take a couple days. And while we were out here, I, I mean, I knew of Dr. Paul Chapel. He was, had been here for many years. I got, a, got to know him a little bit from the Bible college that I attended in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Powell, Tennessee. And uh, we met with Pastor while we were out here, and Pastor looked at me. There was a, y'all know where the Taco Bell is right down here? Yeah, a lot of you probably run for the border a lot, right? Well, there used to be a little bitty cafe there called the Country Cafe right next to it. We went down there, and we had lunch with Dr. R and Pastor and Pastor looked across the table, and here's what he said to me. He says, Brother Keeley, he said, "You've, you've been a pastor. You've been an assistant pastor. You've been a Christian school administrator. He says, what do you feel God wants you to do? Which is the very same question some of you are asking yourself right now. God, what do you want me to do? And I looked across that table, and I said the same answer that I still have if somebody asks me that today. My answer was not that I want to be a pastor. My answer was, I just want to serve the Lord. That's what I said. And that's all I've ever wanted to do. I don't have to pastor. We ended up in California. We moved here by faith. pastor didn't hire us. We, we sold our house, loaded up our truck like the Beverly Hillbillies. And we moved out to California by faith. God began to open doors. You know, students, it's amazing when you step out by faith how God will part the waters for you. And that's what we did. We moved out here and God... I never in my life would have dreamed that I would have had the privilege to teach in a Bible college. The last couple semesters that I taught here at the college... And this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Lord. God gave me, I was pastoring my first church that, that we had about 70 folks. My last couple semesters here at the college, if you take all of my classes per semester and add up the students that sat in those classes, I was averaging over 700 students per semester just in the classes I had. So you know how I looked at that is God's given me 10 times the opportunity to influence people for God. Can I tell you, God won't just do that for me. He'll do it for you. And God did that for David. David was a man, I know the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. When you look in this passage that we read this morning, I believe, as I thought about this passage, that God is still looking for someone, a man or a woman, that He can fill with His Spirit, And He can give them His power to do His work in this world that we live in today. That's the kind of person God is looking for today. When I think about David's life, there's many great people in in the generation just ahead of me that did some great things and, and, and left their mark on the ministry. One of those that I read a quote from was Robert Murray McShane Who said this, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument will be the success. Did you hear what he said? According to the purity and perfections of the instrument, there will be the success. It is not the great talents, God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon In the hand of God. That's what I want to be. I want to be something that God has His hand on, that God would use for His honor and glory. Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. You might be sitting here this morning, just like I've done many times in my life, thinking, well, who am I? I'm a nobody. Most of you, when I walked in this auditorium this morning, you didn't have a clue who I was. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being a nobody, but I want to be a somebody for God. Listen, it's not about me. It's about my God. And that's what I think about when I think about David's life. D.L. Moody wrote the following words next to that verse that I just read, Isaiah six eight. D.L. Moody wrote in his Bible next to that verse. Here's what he wrote: "I am only one, but I am one. I can do every. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do by the grace of God, I will do." You see, Moody understood. That God wanted to use him. What kind of person are you today? What kind of people does God use? How many of you are interested in finding out what kind of people God uses? Anybody at all like me today? Let me give you the kind of people that God uses. Write the first one down. God uses common people. Common people. I asked you a lot of things this morning and you stood. Places you've come from, where you live, the kind of home you grew up in. Guess what? You would, you would, If you look back in the life of Brother Toby Weaver, you know what you'd find out? He's just a common person. If you look back in the life of Pastor Kevin Folger, you would find out he's just a common person. If you look back in the life of Brother Reggie Williams, you would find out he's just a common person. Now, that's not putting anybody down. But the kind of people that God uses are common people. In other words, I see, first of all, God uses just ordinary people. He uses simple, normal people. David was the youngest son of his dad, whose name was Jesse. You know the story, right? How that they're looking to anoint the next king. They call all of Jesse's sons, but guess who's missing? David. David's out tending to the sheep. And as all this is going on, you find that they go one by one, beginning with the oldest, and he says, well, surely this is him. This is, the God's, this is God's anointed. But remember, God doesn't look on the stature many times. God looks on the heart. Well, that's not him. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. None of them. And he says, do you have another son? Because, listen, I know for a fact that God led me To come to this family, I've looked at all your sons, and there has to be one more. Well, there is, but he's not much. He's young. The Bible describes him as ruddy, fair countenance. He was just a simple person. God uses ordinary and unknown people. Why? Because out of those common, ordinary people, God will get the most glory out of it. I think about the 12 disciples, what a ragtag group of guys, (laughs) fishermen, tax collectors, I mean, honestly, many times I thought to myself, the Lord could have picked anyone, but can I tell you, the Lord makes no mistakes, I remember, here we are, what is this, March 22nd, I think it is, midterms are over, right, did you guys pass? That didn't sound real encouraging. I saw a kid this morning. I said, what class is this? He was going in. I said, what class? He goes, it's drama class. I said, you don't sound excited about it. He goes, I'm not. (laughs) I, I don't know who the drama teacher is, but I won't rat him out who he is. But I think about these 12 disciples, and then I think about myself. You see, coming up, This week, April the 1st, I know that a lot of times we think of April 1st as April Fool's Day, right? I remember back in 1993, on April 1st, God called me to preach. And I said, Lord, I get it, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably one of the best ones I've ever heard. And the Lord says, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding you at all. God called me to preach. Preach what? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. God's given me a purpose in life. God uses ordinary people. And you're sitting here today saying, I'm not much. I come from this kind of family. I I didn't have a Christian home. Listen, can I tell you today that what God is looking for today is someone that would say, Lord, I'm not much, but I want to be used by you. God uses ordinary people, but God also uses obedient people. You know the ones that get to chapel on time? The ones that have been told for two days there's going to be a funeral? There's going to be chapel, and so we're moving chapel up to 7.30. Don't be late for chapel. Obedient people. If you can't obey while you're in Bible college, are you going to be able to obey God out in ministry? When I was in Bible college, in, in we were in the state of Tennessee, it was a right-to-work state, and, and, and jobs were hard to come by. I was a married student. I had a wife, four children. I had, I had miles to feed. I had responsibility. And I, I thought to myself, Lord... I've got to be able to provide for my family. I tried everything to find a job, and I couldn't find work, and there were some college students talking one day, and they were talking about how uh, the jobs that they had, the money they were making, and so I went over and inquired. I said, hey, where you guys work? Are they hiring? And they said, sure. And I said, what is the job? And they began to tell me it was telemarketing. You know, I try the best I can to be as kind as I can to people that call me at home on my phone and, and try to sell me something over the phone. I, I really try hard. But I, I, I thought, I don't want to do that. But the Lord said, look, you have a responsibility. You have a family. And so I began to work there. And if you've ever worked at one, some of you may work at one here in this area. I don't know. But when we were working there, after about a week of it, I realized that I, I, as in order to make sales, by the way, I was making sales. God was blessing. But in order to make sales, the script that we were using was really deceiving. We were telling people that it was a trial, 30 days, free. But we all knew that as soon as they said yes, send it to me, that it automatically billed their credit card. Because the customer didn't know that. But we knew that. And the Holy Spirit began to deal with me and said, what are you doing? You're in Bible college. You're training for the ministry. And yet, you're deceiving people by what you do at work. I went into work that next day and I told my boss, who was honestly about seven, eight years younger than I was. I said, "Listen, I need to talk to you." Went into his office and I began to tell him how I needed to quit. And I was—I think at that time I was either the second or third highest salesman, making the most sales in a four-hour shift. And I said to him, "I said, listen, I'm going to have to—I'm going to have to quit." What? You're going to quit? Why are you going to quit? I began to tell him how I couldn't stay. He says, listen, whatever it is, tell me. I'll fix it. I want to keep you here. You're doing a great job. And I said, listen, if I told you, you, there's nothing you could do about it. And he says, well, tell me. Try me. And I, so I explained it to him. And I said, listen, you know I'm a Christian. You know I'm in Bible college. You know that, that I'm, I'm training for God to use me to pastor someday. And what I'm doing here for you is I'm deceiving these people into taking this and, and telling them that they're not going to get billed, but they're getting billed. And he looked at me and he says, and the, what's the problem? He wasn't a saved man. I said, the problem is, is that the Holy Spirit's been dealing with me that it's wrong. And he says, well, what can we do to fix it? He says, listen, I said, listen, you'd have to change the script. He says, let's change it. I said, if you change the script, I said, then you're not going to make any sales. And he says, if I gave you the script and let you take it home and rewrite it, would you do it? I said, I would. But if I do, you're not going to make any sales. And so I walked out of there. I quit. I needed the money. I I had a family to feed. Do you know that there were 17 other Bible college students from the same Bible college working there with me? I never told one of them what the Holy Spirit was revealing to me or that I was quitting, I just left. You know why? Because it's not my job to be the Holy Spirit for other people. But a couple of them came to me and said, Brother Keeley, why did you quit? And I was kind about it, but I thought to myself, if it was wrong for me to be doing it, it's wrong for every Christian to do it. But again, I had to leave that up to the Lord in their own lives. But all I've ever wanted to do is, like David, I've wanted to obey God. I wanted to be someone that God could use to be submissive and compliant. That's what David was to his daddy. Remember how David's brothers, and we read part of the portion here in chapter 17, David's brothers, his three oldest brothers, they're out at the battlefield. There they are. They're out there. They've been out there for quite some time. I mean, there are no... Uh, 7-Elevens out there, there are no Walmarts out there, there's nowhere, there's no KFC, there's there's no Taco Bell, there's nowhere to get food. So Jesse says to his youngest son, listen, I want you to take some parched corn, I want you to take some bread, I want you to take some cheese out there to your brothers. You know what David could have said? Let somebody else do that. Why don't you let one of your servants do that? But David didn't do that. His daddy asked him to do something and he said, yes, sir. Nothing wrong with that. Being polite, whatever God wants you to do, whatever your parents want you to do. In other words, obey authority because someday God may put you in authority. And I do believe in the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. You want people to respect you, here's what you have to do, respect them. You know what I did with my students when I was here at West Coast? I respected them. I respected their time. Listen, I tried to do the best I could to be the best teacher that I could for them. If I told them that I was going to give them a quiz or a test, I gave them that quiz or that test when I told them. I would tell my students the quiz this coming week on Wednesday is going to be from this page to this page. How many of you as students would love a teacher that would tell you that you had to study from this page to this page, right? Instead of just study everything you got. Maybe it'll be something you studied, you know. But I tried to respect the authority of my life as growing up. Listen, I think it's a good principle. It's a good habit to get in because God is going to use people that are willing to do even the most mundane of tasks. Listen, the Bible says over in Psalm 84.10, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's been many toilets that I've scrubbed in churches. I've cleaned floors, cleaned windows. I've helped out with just about anything and everything that I could. Why? Because it's not beneath me. Listen, I I just want to be used by God. And if I'm asked to do something, I want to do what I have been asked to do. I think about the the, uh, man named Adniram Judson who graduated from college and seminary. and, And when he graduated, he received a call from a Very fashionable church in Boston to become its assistant pastor. Everybody congratulated Judson. His mother, his sister, they rejoiced in the fact that that because of this call, he was going to be able to live close to home and do his life's work. But when Judson was asked, he just kind of shook his head. And here's what he said My work is not here, God is calling me beyond the seas. To stay here, even to serve God in, in this ministry, I feel would be only partial obedience, and I could not be happy in that. Although it cost him a great struggle, Judson left his mother and his sister and all those that were dear to him to follow God's call on his life. And Judson, if you study it out, read his, many of the things that happened in his life, Judson's churches in Burma had 50,000 converts and the influence of his obedient life is still being felt around the world today. You see, God uses common people, ordinary people, obedient people. Say, I want to be the kind of person God would use. Well, chances are you're a common person. But are you obeying God in all things? Notice the second kind of person God uses is God uses consecrated people, not only common people, but consecrated people, people that have been set apart by God for a sacred use. Can I tell you, young men and women, God wants to use your life. There's a man that was a young man that was in the uh, the uh, Great Awakening area this morning, and he said to me, uh, he, he recognized me, and he said. Brother Keeley, it's good to see you. And I said, what are you doing now? He told me he's working here for Striving Together. And he says, he says listen, he says, God, God's been dealing with me about pastoring. And I said, the Bible says that he that desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing. I said, God will give you the desire of your heart. I never thought that I'd be doing what I'm doing today. But see, God uses consecrated people, those that have been set apart by God. Notice as you think about these consecrated people, they have to be people that are related to him. When you read the life of David, listen, yes, David was was very much proud to be the son of Jesse. But when you read not only here in chapter 17 but other places, you see that David says many times uses the personal pronouns when he refers to his God. You know what that means? David had a personal relationship with the Lord. We had a missionary at our church just this past week, and he's been doing a great job. He's actually changing fields. He's nine years, going on ten years, he's been in Arctic Siberia. Anybody feel like God's calling them to Arctic Siberia today? Just the words alone. Arctic Siberia. And he served God there for nine or ten years. God's redirecting him to Newfoundland. He's going to be a newfie. And one of our, uh, we have a time when missionaries come, and I try to do this. I give our our people an opportunity to ask questions to the missionary, kind of a Q and A time. And I don't do it to be mean to the missionary. I do it so that our folks. When they ask questions and they hear things, they interact with the missionary, it's a good way for them to remember the missionary, to pray for them. One of our folks said to the missionary, what do you feel is the most important thing or maybe one of the greatest hurdles to being a missionary? His answer was my personal walk with God. Do you know you can be in a Bible college? And you can even be passing all your classes, but you could be so far away from God. That relationship that you should be focusing on is the one that's been set aside for your social life and for maybe some sports. And listen, I'm not against social life. I'm not against sports. I'm not against the classes. You came here to get an education. But don't miss the most important thing is your personal time and your personal walk with God. Can I tell you it affects this pastor when I don't spend time with God? And it will affect you. You see, David was a man that was consecrated by God. He was a man that God was using. And David was a man that, w- that was related to God. David clearly had a heart for God. And when David stood that day on the battlefield, when nobody in the army of Israel would move, and David went down with a with just a one stone in his sling, and he slung it, and it, it landed in the forehead of that giant of a man, and he fell to the ground. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, David had a heart for God, but he also had a head. In his hand, too. That would have been Goliath. David was related to God. I hope every one of you this morning know Christ as your Savior. To me, it was always amazing, but yet a joyful thing when a college student would realize while they were in Bible college, I'm not saved. And there might be someone here this morning that because you've never put your faith in Christ, that according to God's Word, you're not related to God. And can I tell you that if that's you this morning, quit playing games with God. You need to come today at the end of this chapel service and ask God to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. You see, a consecrated person is one that belongs to God, but he's also one that is being used because he's relying on God. He's not only related to God, but he's relying on God. I love the sound in David's voice, the confidence. Listen, it wasn't, David easily said, hey, you remember the lion and the bear? He says, listen, I took care of them. My wife and I, some of you, if you get an opportunity, our favorite thing, we actually went yesterday, we may go again today, we love to hike. Anybody here from Florida? Florida is flat. There's all kinds of nice hiking trails around here. And guess what? They cost this much. My wife and I, we, we would get away on our day off or whatever. We'd go hiking. We went yesterday and went hiking. One time we went just down the 14 and we pulled off at a place we would never been hiking before. And we went hiking. We got about a mile and a half back in there. There was nobody else there that day. I'm not making this up. You can ask my wife. She will verify this. We got about a mile and a half back in there. And all of a sudden I saw something. I looked up and I turned around and I said to my wife, who wasn't looking, I said, Mountain Lion. For those of you in the back, Mountain Lion. It wasn't in a cage. It wasn't on a leash. It was about seven feet long or longer. I wasn't going to take time to measure it. (laughs) My wife being the good wife that she was, here's what she did, young ladies. And guess what I did being the great man that I was? We're, we're, we're leaving, I'm thinking, mile and a half. I'm thinking of the size of this thing. It's, it was going up the hill. When I saw it, I'm sure it either saw me or smelt me because I stunk by that time. And I'm thinking this lion is up on top of this ridge and he's paralleling us, waiting for the opportune time. And in my mind, I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Okay, let's see. What did David do? Because, listen, guys, I knew this. I was going to have to put myself between that lion and my wife. I was willing to do that. Praise God, I killed it with these bare hands. (laughs) That's why I'm here still telling the great story. No, David says, listen, there was a day that a lion and a bear came. But you know who David gave the praise to? God. He says, God was with me then and David stood this day in this loud mouthed blaspheming giant of a man that had everybody paralyzed he says, listen, when I'm done with him all the earth is going to know there's a God in heaven. David said this, he says is there not a cause? I mean why go, to, why go into the ministry? I mean, you could flip hamburgers the rest of your life. I hope you understand how important it is to understand there still is a cause worth fighting for. And David says, look, I, I have confidence, not in myself, but in the Lord. David wasn't looking to the man-made weapons. Remember how Saul over here, he says, oh, hey, 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 if he's going to go do this, uh, give me my armor. Remember how they tried to put it on David? David says, I haven't proved this. I haven't used this. But David says, listen, there are some things that, that I have used. He says, I, I've used my old trusty sling. This isn't David's. It's mine. I made it. But it's actually the same kind of sling because they would put it on their finger like that. They'd have a knot right here And they'd have a little pouch here, and and he needed some stones. So David goes down to the brook, and he gets a couple stones. He, He reaches into that brook, and he starts to pick up. And the Bible says he picked up how many? Wow, you guys are good. You must be Bible college students. So I have one, two, three, four, five. How many did he need? One. Brother Folger, I had the opportunity first time in my life this past a year ago this week to go to the Holy Land for the first time. These five stones I took out of the same brook in the Valley of Elah where David supposedly went. These are stones out of that brook. David says, look, there are some things that I have used and they've been proven in my life. What I'm about to say is of the utmost importance. I know you're young and I don't hold that against you. David was young. But David chose to use what works, what has always worked. He had confidence in what it was. He wasn't interested in something else. He says, because my God has never let me down. My God has never failed me. Everything that I have used in the past has proven itself. And I think I'm just going to stay with what works. Can I tell you, don't believe, don't buy in to all the garbage that you'll read here from even some of those that you're in Bible college with right now who would say to you right now, I would never deny the Word of God. I would never change my Bible version. I would never deny the Lord. I would never. Listen, you you read the Bible. When Jesus was on trial for his life, when he was giving his life for mine, and he was giving his life for yours, remember what Peter says? Though all the world would deny thee, I never would do that. And yet, what did he do? And by the way, it wasn't only Peter. Because all of them forsook the Lord. You're going to be tempted. There's going to be some giants that are going to be out there. There's going to be some loudmouths that are going to try to defy your God, that are going to blaspheme your God. They're going to to whisper in your ear and say, you need to try this. You need to get up with the fads. You need to have the certain lighting in your church. You've got to have certain music. Can I tell you, the gospel still works. The only thing you have to do is preach what God's already given to you. You don't need some new method. You don't need some new revelation. You just need to do what God has given you, what is proven itself year after year after year it still works young people but the temptation it's going to come are you relying on him let me give you quickly because I want to make sure you get everything you paid for this morning let me give you quickly a couple thoughts here because when I think about relying on the Lord I love what Spurgeon said Spurgeon said I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not believe at all Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than dry land faith and it is not good for much. Hey, listen this morning. The kind of person that God uses is somebody that is consecrated. They are related to Him. They are relying on God. Is that the kind of person that you are today, that you're relying on God, you're trusting his word. Listen, God has called you. Don't, don't look here. Don't go anywhere or do anything outside of God's will for your life. You see, God uses common people. He uses consecrated people. Thirdly, He uses committed people. These are those that are devoted to Him. They are committed. Listen, they're so committed that in spite of the obstacles, they're still committed. David was determined that he was going to honor God. Hey, look, everybody knows the story, right? David and Goliath, right? What a story. How many of you out here are into March Madness? Yeah. You know what everybody's wanting? One of those Cinderella teams to win. Man, I love to see those Goliaths get their heads chopped off in that tournament first round. There goes Duke. Whoop. There goes North Carolina. Whoop. It's like, who is this team? That's the story. And by the way, it's not just some made-up story. There was a man, there was a giant of a man, and there was this little boy who voiced his confidence in God. He was committed in spite of the obstacles. David's eyes were not on the problem. David's eyes were on the problem solver. David saw that, listen, obstacles are opportunities in disguise. I mean, I love the spirit of Caleb. Give me this mountain, you know, 85 years old. He was as old as Brother Weaver, you know? And so you think about how he was committed in spite of the obstacles. Listen, if you find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead to anywhere. God never promised you smooth seas. Understand that obstacles aren't roadblocks. They're stepping stones. God wants to use people that are committed. They're committed in spite of the obstacles. Secondly, they're committed in spite of the opposition. I mean, look, even David's old brothers. I mean, how many of you have brothers? How many of you have older brothers? Yeah, I never had a brother. And I think God knew what he was doing because he knew I would kill him. But don't you love it when you get such a vote of confidence from your brother? I mean, here I know the naughtiness of your heart. I know why you came down here. Yeah, I came down here to see you, chicken, hiding behind the bush that won't do a thing for God. That's what he was. That's, that's probably what David was thinking, because they all were in the the analysis of paralysis. Nobody was doing anything. They were all standing there because for forty days this giant of a man just kept. Kept badmouthing his God. I mean, his own brothers, they questioned David's motives. Even his family and friends were thinking to himself, and listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, when I got saved, and I'm a first-generation Christian, I had to hear from my own parents. Oh, there, there's the preacher boy. Oh, preacher boy. Dr. Jack Howells, years ago, he responded in one of his services, came down front, and he was kind of an awkward little boy, and he, you know, his hair, and his, he had big, thick glasses. He came down front in the church service, and his pastor met him down front and said, Jackie boy, that's what they called him. He said, Jackie boy, why'd you come this morning? He says, because I believe God's calling me to preach. His own pastor told him, he says, why don't you just go sit back down? I oftentimes wonder what his pastor thought when that man ended up having a Sunday school attendance of over 20,000 people. You see, sometimes you're going to face obstacles and you're, you're going to face opposition among those that, that know you. Can I tell you that David was determined? He was going to defeat this giant no matter what. Uh, he was going to stand. Uh, look, the old adage, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And, de- and Goliath came down that day. The Bible says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I read read this account. If you ever go out in the water, maybe the ocean, you see these buoys sometimes out there floating around and they have a bell on them. They're called bell buoys. And it is true that the bell on those buoys only rings during storms. The beating of the waves and the wind bring out the music. That is within. And you know what trials will do in your life? They'll do the exact same thing. Trials will bring out, really, it'll reveal what's inside of you. See, God is looking for somebody that is committed in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the opposition. How about this? They're committed in spite of the opportunities. David could have chosen that day to walk away from this giant of a man, to walk away from his brothers that were ridiculing him. But listen, David had his priorities in the right place because he says this day is all the earth going to know that there's a God in heaven. You know what he was saying when he took that stand and nobody else would that day? He says God's going to get glory out of this. God's going to use me and God's going to use this situation. And David had his priorities right. Listen, he had his mind made up and he he knew that God was going to come through for him and God would fight for him. The Bible says, whatsoever therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's what David was doing. See, God uses committed people. But look at this last one. God also uses courageous people. You know what that means? It's going to take some courage, not your courage. It's going to take some courage to come off the sides, to come from the back, to come to the place where you say, God, I'm here and I'm fully committed to you. People who are courageous, they're willing to accept the risk. David put his life on the line. Look, there's no doubt that if God wouldn't have come through in this situation, David would have died that day. This giant would have had his life, but instead it was the other way around. I love what C.T. Studd said. He says, Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when it lasts, I'll hear the call. I know I'll 'Twas worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. You see, students, this morning, are you willing courageously to accept the risk? I think about those three Hebrew children who stood when everybody else bowed down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you ought to make up your mind right now that when you get married someday and you start having children, I'm going to name my kid Abednego. I'm going to name my firstborn Shadrach. People are like, you're crazy. No, when I think about these three Hebrews, they stood in the face of the king who could have taken their lives And they they basically said this, King, you do what you need to do. But as for us, our God who we serve, He will deliver us. Oh, they got cast in the fire. Hey, look, didn't we put three in there? And I see a fourth one. Walking about like the Son of God. I mean, think about it, young people. When you go through the fires and the trials come, if you're willing courageously to accept the risk, guess what happens? God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're my child. Hey, listen, when Paul stood for God in his day on the way to Rome, the Lord stood with him, the Bible says. You see, you have to be willing courageously to accept the risk. But how about this? Be willing to accept the ridicule. I mean, David heard the taunts of his opponent, and David heard the, the jabs of his critics, and yet David understood that the rewards that came from obeying the Lord far outweighed uh, any of the personal humiliation that he may suffer. The Bible says about, listen to these words about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Peter, who understood this all too well, Peter said, beloved, think it not,